good to be with you all this morning. It's wonderful, nice, warm, very warm Sunday. I love long sleeve shirts on a nice hot day. So, uh, as you guys know, Pastor Wayne and Abby and the Cooksons are still in Zambia. They're probably getting ready to head back, I would assume, because they're coming back Tuesday. It takes a little while to get back from there. Uh, but I'm, I'm very grateful to be here this morning to, to speak to you all. Now, if you look at your bulletins, you'll, you'll notice that today's sermon was titled, uh, Second Place is the New First Place. However, as I continued to add and modify my sermon up to yesterday, I decided that that title no longer fit. So I apologize, Melinda, uh, for all the ones that you printed out. So today's sermon is actually called, Heads and Shoulders, Knees and Toes. <laughs> now, some of you guys might remember that in one of my first sermons, I talked about Superman. So today, I thought it might be kind of fun if we talked about another passion of mine, the Lord of the Rings. I know. I know. I'm not going to get like, too in-depth, so don't get too excited, okay? We're not going to go you know, movie by movie. So if you guys haven't read the books or if you haven't seen the movies... I don't know why you haven't. They're great. But in a nutshell, it's about a group of friends. They have to destroy a magic ring in order to save the world. That's it in a very small nutshell. And I think that what makes the story so compelling is the different characters and how each one is different from the rest. Now, Gandalf the wizard, he's the leader of the group. He's the one that sets the mission And everyone looks to him if there's a question or about what to do next. Boromir and Aragorn, they're the soldiers. They fight the forces of evil, and they keep the hobbits safe. Gimli, the dwarf, and Legolas, the elf, they represent the earth uniting and working together against the forces of evil. Merry and Pippin, they're the hobbits. They start off as support for Frodo, but then they end up uh, fighting in the war. And lastly, we have Frodo, who is the ring bearer. And he's the one who's burdened to carry the ring all the way to Mordor, all the while he's slowly losing himself and his identity in the process. And Sam is Frodo's friend. He stays by his side through every danger, risking his own life for Frodo and the quest. It's a wonderful movie. I love it. (laughs) Now, each person was perfectly suited for their role that they played in the journey. Only Gandalf had the wisdom to choose the perfect ring bearer. Only Boromir and Aragorn had the courage to fight an endless sea of orcs and goblins. And only Frodo could have made it all the way to Mount Doom. And Sam was his perfect companion. Now you might be sitting there and you're thinking, that sounds great, Sean. I've seen the movie. I love them too. But what does that have to do with us? Right? Well, I think that this is a perfect example of the body of Christ and how we all work together. Frodo thought that he could take the journey alone. He didn't want Sam to be there. He didn't want Sam to get hurt. But in the end, he realizes that he couldn't have done it without him. Without Gandalf's leadership, and without Aragorn's courage, and without the unwavering support from Sam... Frodo couldn't have completed his mission. It took each person 
with their unique gifts, working together in order for the ring to be destroyed. And this relationship reflects all of us and how we work together. We have different parts working together as one body in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for joining us together today. Thank you for allowing us to share in your heavenly work here on earth, along with our fellow believers around the world. Please open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning, not just as an audience, but also personally for me. We would ask, Lord, that the message heard today would be what you want it to be, uh, that it would be truthful and edifying, and I would ask that you please guide my words through your Holy Spirit, that I might be faithful in sharing your word. Amen. Now, I'd like to take a look at a few of my favorite Bible characters. That would be Moses and his brother Aaron. Now, when we think about Moses, I'll bet that most of us probably picture Charlton Heston, right? It's hard to get that image of him out of our minds. We can all remember Charlton Heston saying that famous line, Let my people go! Right? That's my Charlton Heston impression. I apologize. Thank you, yeah. Twelve years of acting classes. That's, that's not true. Heston played Moses as a very strong and confident character. But in reality, Moses was anything but confident. It's in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses sees the burning bush and where God tells him that he's observed the suffering of the Israelites and the oppression by the Egyptian Pharaoh. And it's in verse 10 that God says, Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, even if we stop there, we might ask ourselves a few questions, such as, why did God choose Moses to lead his people? Wasn't there someone more qualified than him to do that job? Now, let's not forget that Moses murdered someone. It was just one chapter earlier, in chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, where it says, Years later, when Moses grew up, or when Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. Now, there's no two ways about it. That is homicide. Okay? God did not tell Moses to do that. He didn't give Moses the okay, go ahead and, you know, do it. Moses did that on his own. And it, it's actually premeditated murder because he took the moment to look around to make sure that no one was watching before he did it. And then he buries the evidence. And this is the guy that God says, you will lead my people out of Egypt. But what was Moses' response? Well, in chapter 4, verse 10, we see it says, But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have even been speaking to your servants. 
because I am slow and hesitant in speech. But Yahweh said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. In other words, he was saying, Send someone more qualified. And now this is where Aaron, uh, Moses' brother Aaron comes in, in verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? It's an obvious question. He knows that. I know that he can speak well, and also he's on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say, and I will help both you and him to speak, and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve as God to him. So already, we know that God sees Aaron as the better speaker. And not only that, Aaron was actually older than Moses by three years. He would have been a more obvious choice as a leader. But God still chose to work through Moses. So to work around Moses' shortcomings, he uses Aaron. God sets up a chain of command. God tells Moses what he wants done and what to say. Then Moses tells Aaron, and then Aaron tells the Pharaoh. And the funny thing is that when we think about the Exodus story, and about God delivering the Jews out of Egypt, the first person that we think of is Moses. We think that it's about his story. But the truth is that Moses only did those things with Aaron's help. And one of the first things that we can say about Aaron is that he was not a reluctant servant and that he showed great humility in helping his younger brother. And this is one of the reasons why I more closely identify with Moses than I do with Aaron. I can think of many times when I was reluctant to do what God was calling me to do. And I've, I've used this example a few times in people in my life. Uh, the biggest example for me in my life would be the times that we went to Uganda. It was six years ago that we were sitting in church and we were listening to some missionaries that had recently come back from the country. Now, up to this point, I had never considered doing an overseas mission, and Africa would have been the very last place that I would consider going. Uh, but nevertheless, as I sat there, I could feel that God was stirring something inside me as we were listening to them. And that feeling started to grow. And now, to be completely honest, I would have absolutely ignored those feelings for as long as possible until they went away. Or I would have just convinced myself that it was a bad idea to go. The problem was that Sarah had the same feeling. And if she hadn't said that we should go, I probably wouldn't have gone. So it was five years ago, almost to the week actually, thanks to Facebook letting me know that. <laughs> it was five years ago that we went on our first trip to Uganda. And it was hard. And it was exhausting. And very hot. And I was put in a lot of uncomfortable situations. 
So that by the time we got back, I had no plans of ever returning. But then, just two years later, I was asked to return. And once again, I was not excited about going. But the team needed me. And just like before, I was not going to go unless Sarah went with me. Sarah was there for me so that I could do what I needed to do. Just as Aaron was there for his brother so that he could do what he needed to do. It was Aaron who cast down the rod before the Pharaoh that turned into a snake. Aaron was the one who used his staff to strike the Nile River that turned it into blood. He was also the one who carried out the plagues that brought the frogs and the gnats. And you guys also remember the story of the Israelites fighting the Amalekites, right? So we have both Moses, Aaron, and Hur standing up on a hill watching the battle. And as Moses keeps his arms up, the Israelites are winning. And as he puts his arms down, the Amalekites are winning. Now, I don't know if you've ever like, tried holding your arms up for like, an extended period of time, but it's not easy. I actually tried this yesterday, uh, and I timed myself to see how long I could do it before my arms got tired. I got to two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, and I could feel my shoulders starting to burn a little bit. So you can imagine how tired Moses must have felt. So what did they do? Well, his brother Aaron and her held up Moses' arms until the battle was won. And then later, when the tabernacle was built, Aaron served as high priest. Aaron's ministry plays an important role in the book of Exodus. And what we can learn from Aaron and his story is that his role as a servant and helper to Moses was no less important. Aaron did what he needed to do so that Moses could do what he needed to do. Now, Aaron was not perfect. He made mistakes. But his legacy is one of service to his brother. Aaron lifted up his brother when his brother was weak. If we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, Excuse me, I'll get a little water here. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So if we think about our roles as the body of Christ, Aaron could be seen as the arms. The arms are people that are in supportive roles, and they make things happen. They take the role of service. And also, the arms are always by your side. Don't thunch. It took people a while, I know, sorry. Now, the arms are a large part of the body, but they are no more important than the legs. Personally, I see the legs as the leaders. This would be our pastor and our elder in the church. Elders, excuse me. The Bible describes these roles as shepherds. They take an active role in watching over the flock, guiding them, 
and instructing them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes, Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will, not for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, as I was thinking about today's sermon and praying about it, I was reminded of a night at our Young Marriage group a while back. Both Wayne and Sally helped lead the Young Marriage group, and there was one night in particular that we were talking about ministries that we've been called to. And it was something that Sally said that struck me and stayed with me. She said that her family is her ministry, raising her five children and supporting her husband. And I also know that Sally runs a business with her sister, and every now and then she has to travel and be away from her family. And I've noticed that when that happens, the number of commitments and activities that Pastor Wayne is normally involved in plummets dramatically <laughs> with, good, with, good, uh, with good reason, right? It's understandable. But this just emphasizes that Wayne could not do what he needs to do if it wasn't for Sally and her support. Whether it's, going, uh, whether it's working at the church full-time or going to seminary, whether he's leading a small group or running elder meetings or him going to Zambia, he couldn't do it without Sally and her support. So while, Le- uh, while Wayne represents the legs of leadership, Sally is the arms of support. Oh, I know. <laughs> if we look at the story of Esther... We see a queen who was born a Jew. She had lost her parents, and then later she was adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. And later she married the king of Babylon. Now, when Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, he was one of the king's high-ranking officials, Haman made plans to have all the Jews killed. So then Mordecai learns about this, and then he tells Esther. And then Esther tells Mordecai, to have as many Jews as she can find, as he can find, excuse me, to be praying and fasting so that she could find favor with the king. And in the end, Esther saves Mordecai and all of her people, the Jews. Mordecai would have been killed by Haman if it had not been for Esther and her efforts. And Esther couldn't have saved her people if it had not been for Mordecai and him having all the people being praying and fasting for her. In this scenario, Esther is in the role of leadership, the legs. And Mordecai is the arms who helped her save the Jews. So we've talked about two very large parts of the body. Now let's talk about a very small part of the body, but no less important, the heart. Now when it comes to the body of Christ and the gifts that God has given us, I am definitely not a heart. These are people that bring comfort and healing and offer encouragement to one another whenever you're feeling defeated. 
It's true that, yes, I have comforted my wife on many occasions. Don't worry about that. Um, But these are people that have the gift of spiritual healing and encouragement. These are the people that you want around you when you're hurting. People that will provide a shoulder to cry on. These are the kinds of people that you can just sit in a room with, even in complete silence, and still feel better because they're there. Do you guys know the kind of person I'm talking about? Yeah. When Paul writes about spiritual gifts in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he mentions gifts of healing. It's plural. It's most commonly believed that this gift of healing refers to physical healing, such as healing the sick. But it is also believed that the plurality of gifts can also include empathy and emotional healing and encouragement. You might recall that before Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he killed and persecuted uh, the early followers of Christ. So when Paul turned his life around and started spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, it was only natural that they would be afraid of him and not believe him, right? But it was Barnabas that brought encouragement to the disciples, and he removed their fears of Paul so that he could continue to preach in the synagogues. Barnabas' real name is actually Joseph, but they called him Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. Barnabas used his gifts of speaking and encouragement to remove the fears surrounding Paul. Now, each of us has a gift and a purpose, so, and it's only when we work together that we can fulfill our mission of spreading the good news and fulfilling the Great Commission. And the deeper I got into this study, the more it started to change. I, guys, I already mentioned earlier that I had changed the title of the sermon. I started the sermon thinking that it was going to be about helpers and the unsung heroes. But I realized, with some help, that the common thread was actually about working together. Each of us, using our gifts that God has given us as we work together as one body in Christ. And we can see this metaphor working together within the body throughout God's word. Because in addition to Aaron helping his brother Moses, I also thought about Paul and all the people that he worked with throughout his ministry. And as you read through Paul's letters, you can see all these people that he's working with. And just to name a few, we've got Timothy, we've got Titus, Silas, Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla, Barnabas, Epaphroditus, and the list goes on. Paul was definitely a great leader. He was a great teacher and a great encourager. But Paul knew that no one person could do all these things all the time. He needed help from all of these people. Now, some of them went on missions with him. Some of them went on missions without him in his absence. Some of them delivered letters to the churches. Some were used to encourage and to build up early followers. Each of these people, both men and women, were filling different roles. Timothy started out in a supportive role, but that ended up in a leadership position. 
Both Aquila and Priscilla were a husband and wife team, and they definitely filled the supportive role for Paul in his ministry in Ephesus. Now, when Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he was writing about Aquila, he did not say that Aquila did all these things and his wife was with him. Actually, whenever they are mentioned, it's always together as they and them, signifying that they were both heavily involved and working together. So not only did this husband-wife team support Paul, but they supported each other and no doubt encouraged one another. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, and so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body, just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. If we think about the eyes and the ears, they are the filter that everything goes through to get to the heart and the mind. They are in charge of telling us if something is either from God or not from God. In other words, this is the gift of discernment. John MacArthur wrote, In its simplest definition, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. So you might be thinking to yourself, do I, you, do I have the gift of discernment? Well, as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, it says that all of us should test all things, hold on to what is good, and stay away from every kind of evil. The truth is that every Christian needs discernment. We are all live we're all called to live a life that is uncompromised. Now, at this point, we could continue this metaphor of the body. We could say that the lungs breathe life into, you know, our ministry, and that this could represent the creatives among us, perhaps. We could say that the blood represents those that give financially and help sustain us, and the liver filters junk from our bodies that we don't need, and I'll let you guys decide what or who that might be. Either way, our bodies are made of different parts that serve different functions and have different purposes. And the only way for us to be effective is for us to work together as one. 
if we're returning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in my opinion, this second half is where things really hit home for me. It's kind of where everything comes together. In verse 21, it says, So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, the, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put together, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are one body of Christ and individual members of it. And I think what I love about this verse is that it knows that we will sell ourselves short. We don't see that what we do really matters. If we think back to the Lord of the Rings and the characters there, they all felt the same way. Frodo thought that he was just going to take the ring to Rivendell and he was going to hand it over to the elves, and that was it. His part was done. And Sam just thought he was tagging along with his friend. He didn't even want to leave home. And if you were to ask them, they would have told you that their part in this journey was not important. But we know that isn't true. Each person was needed, and they worked together to fulfill their mission. And it's so easy for us to think that what we do doesn't matter, that our part is too small and insignificant. All I do is run the sound booth. All I do is greet people on Sunday morning. All I do is and fill in the blank. Your role within the body of Christ is important and needed just as much as any other part. Don't say to yourself, I'm not a leader, therefore I'm not important. As we've seen, leaders need help. They need support. They need encouragement. Furthermore, just because you're in a supportive role now doesn't mean that you won't be in a different role later. You could be the legs one day, but you could be the arms another day. You could be a heart the day after that. And I think that this just emphasizes the, why we are all called to be part of a community. It's also why establishing roots in your community is so important. Think about this. If you jump from place to place, whether it's churches or jobs or neighborhoods, how easy is it going to be for you to share your gifts? If trust over time is never established, how effective will you be as an encourager? How effective of a leader can you be if you don't know the people who you are leading? 
Can people trust your discernments if they don't know who you are? Perhaps a harder question to ask is, if you never lead, if you never support, if you never encourage, if you never offer discernments, if you never use the gifts that God has given you, ask yourself, am I even part of the body? Because if God's word is true, and every part of the body has a function and a purpose, and every part is equally as important, then anything that isn't functioning isn't part of the body, right? There's no such thing as an arm that functions by itself. The legs can't move if they aren't part of the body. The heart cannot survive apart from the body. The eyes cannot see. The ears cannot hear without the body. You cannot do this on your own. And we cannot do this without you. Now, many of you guys know that I grew up at Arcade Baptist Church. I was there from nursery up until a few years after Sarah and I got married. And I can honestly say that at no, well, I shouldn't say at no point, for the most part of my life, I never saw myself serving in any kind of ministry in any capacity, honestly. It wasn't until I was in junior high that my oldest brother, David, started to volunteer with the youth. And it was at that point that I could see myself volunteering. So after high school, I started working with the junior high youth program. And in the beginning, it really just felt more like I was babysitting, just kind of making sure that the kids don't kill each other, right? (laughs) But then as time went on, the junior high pastor asked me if I would uh, head up a Bible study. And I said, well, I've never thought about that before, but it doesn't seem too difficult. We had a, a good group of kids at the time, so I wasn't too nervous about that. And then from there, I was asked if I had any interest in teaching on Thursday nights at the youth group. Now, you can probably see the progression that is starting to take place here. I went from junior high volunteering to high school, and then Sarah and I got married, and we moved churches. And from there, we served as greeters, and then in hospitality, and then on missions, and then more high school teaching, and then eventually we started attending East Parkway Church. Now, the point being is that there is still a big part of me that I have to fight. I have to fight that feeling that says that what I do doesn't mean anything. I'm not a leader. My part of the body is small and doesn't really make a difference. But thankfully, God doesn't see it that way. He uses all of us wherever we are in life. And he does it for his good works. No part is too small for him. No part is less important. So as God said, go, go, become part of the body of Christ. If God is calling you to be a leader, then don't be afraid to to lead. He will offer support to you. 
And to all my introvert friends out there, there's good news. Not everyone is called to be a leader. However, your role is no less important. We need encouragers. We need helpers. We need healers. We also need great discernment as well. If you've been a follower of Christ for 30 years or more, you are a wellspring of discernment, and we need you. Christ never intended for us to do this on our own. When, God, when, when Jesus started his ministry, what was the first thing that he did? He started the fellowship. Each one had their own gifts, filling a different role, all working together for a common purpose, to share the good news in fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for knitting us together and for knitting us together with you so closely that we cannot be separated and still function as you mean us to. We praise you for your provision in gifting us differently and giving us minds and the spirits that we can minister in whatever ways you call us. May we faithfully use those gifts and recognize those gifts in others, encouraging each other and building your kingdom for the good of your children whom you endlessly love. Help us to see, Lord, which part we play right now and to take action if we have not already. Our eyes are on you and you direct our path. Amen.